0: I just can't take no pleasure in killing. There's just some things you got to do. Don't mean you have to like it. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. All right. Yeah. So, uh... Our audience doesn't need to know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because we always start our episodes the same. So I'm going to say something different this time. Uh, even though you guys as our audience probably don't care, I just wanted to say, Geneva and I just talked for an hour and a half before starting to record this. <laughs> we had one of the deepest about, conversations of our lives. <laughs> about about our cynical mentalities on the outlook of this world and our country and the state of humanity. So uh, that's the mental space that we're in entering into this episode, which is kind of fitting. We should have um, just caught some
1: of it on the, the record, but oh well. Didn't yeah. know where that conversation was gonna go.
0: Yeah. Um but anyway, so yeah, uh Geneva, have you been watching anything recently? <laughs> Preferably hmm. anything happy?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did watch one thing. So yet again we're we're recording these episodes in a pretty short time frame. There's only been a few days since our last record. So I've really only watched one movie to report. And that is a Western that I've actually been wanting to see for quite a while. A Western called Red River, uh, which is directed by Howard Hawks, um, stars John Wayne and Montgomery Clift, who I've watched a few Montgomery Clift movies recently. Um, Big fan of his. So I think this may actually have been his film debut. Um, don't hold me to that. I need to look that up, but yeah, really, really great, great movie. Um, I was really interested in watching it, not just because of Montgomery Clift, but also because this was um, John Wayne teaming with Howard Hawks prior to Rio Bravo, which is my favorite western of all time. Tatum has heard me rave about it many times. One of these days, I'll have it. <laughs> I'll do it on the pod. But I'm sure you I'm will. Gonna <laughs> give Tatum a break from westerns for quite a while. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Although the Oxbow um, incident, I did enjoy. You did. Yes, I was very, very happy about that. But I, I will take mercy on you. We will not do
0: Rio Bravo for quite a while. Muchas gracias. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, Red River is a really good movie. It's very much um, kind of in the mode of sort of a forerunner to something like The Searchers, where it's really exploring the darker side of the the John Wayne persona. It's um very much about that idea of obsession and um power and um the the way that it isolates you and um kind of hardens and crystallizes things that were originally good in your persona and kind of brings out the evil and yeah, it's a it's a really good movie. It's a basically an intergenerational conflict between John Wayne and his adopted son who's played by Montgomery Clift about um this cattle drive that they're attempting to do this like insane like 100 plus mile hundreds of miles cattle drive. Um the one criticism that I would have of this movie, I, I will not spoil anything. I'll just say I feel like it shifts tones a little bit toward the end, which I don't think fully worked for me. I wish the ending had been a little bit stronger and had carried through more on some of the themes that the movie had been developing. But overall, I think it's fantastic. If you like Westerns, if you like John Wayne, if you like Montgomery Clift, definitely check out Red River.
0: Would you recommend it if someone doesn't like any of those things? Hmm. <laughs>
1: I do need to show you a Montgomery Cliff movie at some point because you love James Dean, so I feel like it'd be. I do interesting like James Dean. Yeah, yeah. Your reaction because it's can that you similar not like James Dean, honestly. I no, right? How can you not? But it's that same, you know, that original generation of method actors with, you know, James Dean, Marlon Brando, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Really
0: fascinating. Do you remember when I told you when I was watching that HBO Max special? I forget specifically what it's called. Um, but it was about Paul Newman and kind of his... Oh, yeah, The Last Movie Stars? Yeah, and there was, like, a whole episode that basically talked about how him, Marlon Brando, and James Dean were all in the same acting class in New York at the same time. It's like, wait, how is this possible? Oh, and gosh. I think Montgomery Clift might have been in it, too, for a hot minute. Probably, yeah. But it's just, like, this weird... Mm-hmm. Just the fact that that happened mm-hmm. is absolutely insane. and. Yeah they were kind of talking about how Paul Newman was incredibly intimidated and how he was like, how can I be an actor? Look at these other people. Like, I don't, I can't survive next to these geniuses. Um, But anyway, yeah, you just made me think of that.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. I have yet to see that special. I should watch it very soon.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it, I think you in particular would really like it. Yeah. I think I would. Anything else or just that one?
1: Uh, Just that, really. Um, I've been watching a BBC uh, miniseries called The Moonstone, which is an adaptation of a Wilkie Collins novel. i would not had any prior familiarity with the novel. and not seen any other version of it uh, adapted before. I'm enjoying it. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen. There are some things where I'm like, I feel like you just kind of... This seems like a weird criticism, but I feel like they just took the book and then put it into a screenplay format and then just filmed it, which... I mean, how as a pu- as a purist, <laughs> I love, but I feel like it doesn't make for very, the way that a Victorian novel mm, is I structured doesn't make for very compelling film writing. Like, you have to do a bit of adaptation when you're putting something on screen. So, right. yeah, it's okay. Um, I have one more episode. I'm interested to see how it pans out. But anyway, that's, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. Well, for me, so... Uh, I've been going through a particularly difficult time in my life because of the strikes that are going on and just trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life in the midst of all of this. Um, so I have been really trying to, I think I said on the last episode or or something like that, that I'm going to challenge myself to only watch things that are majority people of color. Um, I don't have the mental capacity to be doing that at the moment, so, um, Quite frankly, I haven't really been watching anything. I've been doing a lot of YouTube because YouTube is short and you can kind of look up anything you want. So if it's like funny compilation of Parks and Rec, Ron Swanson, or like whatever. Um, So I've been doing a lot of YouTube. There was one episode of the show that I watched, which was, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who might not have seen it. I really
1: hope it wasn't BoJack Horseman
0: knowing where your
1: your mindset headspace is right now.
0: It was BoJack Horseman and also... Uh, I don't know if you know this Geneva, but um, episode 11 of each season of BoJack Horseman is like the most depressing episode of each season. Um, So this episode happened to be episode 11 of season three. Anyone who has seen BoJack Horseman knows what I mean when I say that. I did not know what season three episode 11 was until I watched it and I was like, I need to die. This oh, is the no. most depressing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I texted I texted my friend who we were watching it together a few months ago. And I was like, I don't think I can keep watching this. This is the most upsetting thing I've ever seen. And they responded. They were like, didn't I tell you not to watch that alone? We were supposed to watch... <laughs> like, I'm so sorry you're having to go through this alone. I was like, friends,
1: don't let friends watch BoJack Horseman alone.
0: Specifically, season three, episode eleven. Like, this is the episode that everyone is like, don't watch this alone. But I didn't know that, and I'd forgotten that my friend had mentioned that. So, um, yeah, BoJack Horseman is really, dep- <laughs> really depressing. And season three, episode 11 is really depressing. And according to my friend, it only gets worse from here. So um, I might be taking a very long break from this show. <laughs> it's an incredible show. It really is. It's super profound. It's very well written. Um, it really is a brilliant, brilliant show that touches on um, just some of the most re- like depressing realities of humanity in a way that is so relatable In a way that I've never seen in any other show. But that also means it's pretty much torture to watch. Um, And if it's going to get worse from here, I'm like, good God. Why would I put myself
1: through this? As your friend, I'm going to stage an intervention here and now and say, do not watch any more BoJack Horseman. At least until the strike is over.
0: Yeah, it's rough. Because, you know, when you don't know about the show, it's like, oh my gosh, all these pretty colors and bright colors characters, and it's funny, which it is funny, but then, man, is it not funny. <laughs> sometimes
1: that makes it worse. It sometimes really does. The, yeah, that humor-punch-in-the-gut combo can sometimes be the most brutal one of all.
0: Yeah, I just didn't realize when I pressed play that I was watching a an episode 11 episode, so I need to be more conscious of that moving forward. Uh, but anyway, after I watched that, I was like, yeah, I'm just doing YouTube from here on out because... I just need to laugh. So I've been doing a lot of YouTube. uh, So yeah. Anyway.
1: uh, I feel like at the end of this episode, after talking about this incredibly brutal and bleak and depressing horror movie, you and I need to just, before we introduce the next episode, just take a minute and tell the audience... Give a little recommendation of some episode of a sitcom or a YouTube Ooh. video that always brings you joy, and just I like that. you know, it'll be our little recommendation corner at the end of this.
0: Yeah, because you know this is Halloween, so next week we're also going to be talking about another <laughs> yeah. another horror movie that's pretty bleak. So um, yeah, I, I like that. Let's recommend something fun at Thank the you. end. All right, let's let's make sure we don't forget. That we do, we can always cut it out. That'll help us transition into that headspace of like, oh, yeah, something fun. Let's think about something fun. Yeah. (laughs) Let's remember that last week we talked about Spinal Tap. Let's let's go with that. Oh, yes. Um, That's right. Man, what a whiplash. (laughs) I know. Um, Okay. Anyway, so like I mentioned, uh, this is kind of our episode that's coming out before Halloween just to kind of get into a little bit more of like a a spooky, horror-y type of spooky. spooky. This movie has no ghosts in it, but still. Um, so yeah, bear with me as I get into, uh, just kind of the intro for this film. Uh, I didn't realize until I started doing research, there is so much information and trivia that is revolving around this film because in terms of how it was made, how it was received, the legacy it has on the genre, so many things. So I'm going to read a pretty long introduction here. So stick with us, but I think it's all super interesting. So here we go. Um so today on the show we are talking about one of the most influential films in the horror genre, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Chainsaw two separate words, uh released in nineteen seventy four and directed by Toby Hooper. The film tells the story of a group of five friends on a road trip to visit the grave of one of their grandfathers. When their van runs out of gas, they find themselves stranded at an abandoned house. But little do they know that this house has next-door neighbors. Neighbors who happen to have some pretty horrifying hobbies. Nice. Thank you. Though fraught with controversy at the time of its release due to its extreme violence, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a success at the box office. It was made with a budget of just $800,000 adjusted for inflation, uh, but the film earned over $150 million adjusted for inflation. So, made a lot of money. Um... So due to the film's small budget, the movie was not only seen as, a, as controversial for what we see on screen, it's also controversial because of what was happening behind the camera. Uh, so with the small amount of money that was available to the production, they were forced to shoot seven-day weeks and 16-hour days for a month in order to reduce equ- equipment costs, which is pretty inhumane, if you ask me. Um, and because they were shooting in Round Rock, Texas in the middle of the summer, the temperatures were dangerously hot. Additionally, Hanson, one of the actors, has said that because there was no money for him to have more than one iteration of his costume, he wore the same shirt and same mask every day of the shoot. So that is the guy who plays Leatherface. He had to wear the Ooh. same shirt and mask every day for a Can month. you imagine how no. that thing smelled by the end of that? I... Cannot like covered in blood and hardened and gross and deserves an Oscar
1: nomination for that.
0: Yes. Um, the set was also dangerous due to many of the stunts being done for real. So not really stunts, uh, Burns finger who plays Sally, um, her finger was actually cut so that the grandfather could suck her blood. And a real hammer was also used while her head was over the bucket And in the scene when Kirk was murdered, the actor who plays him, William Vale has come out to say that he was terrified that the chainsaw was held within just inches of his face. So this was a very dangerous shoot uh, that there's no way this would happen today, which rightly so should not happen. Um, Can I ask one question? Um, If you
1: uh, read anything about this in your, your research, Mm -hmm. Toby, Toby Toby, uh, Toby Mm -hmm. Hooper—that's how you pronounce his name. Toby Hooper. Mm -hmm. Toby Hooper. Where was he in his career at this point? Was this had he been making movies? Was he a successful director? Was he kind of a a newer director?
0: Uh, I did not look that up, but I could find it right now. Let me see. Because I'm actually
1: really curious, like you know, to have this really small budget and to be able to do all of these um, things. Yeah, I'm just very curious.
0: Looks like. He had directed... Looks like a few he shorts. He directed shorts. He directed a feature called Eggshells in 69. And then his next feature was Texas Chainsaw in 74. So this was okay. his second feature.
1: So this is his not directorial debut, but certainly the thing that put him on the map.
0: Yeah. So his set was obviously very dangerous, which I kind of wish I didn't know that watching this movie because it kind of taints my experience of the film a little bit. Uh, I feel like I can't enjoy it as much, but that's what happened. And I felt like I needed to just mention that. Um, but anyway, despite all of this, the Texas chainsaw massacre has gone on to be one of the most influential horror films of all time. revolutionizing the concept of a slasher film by introducing the concept of using household tools, household tools as murder weapons and having the main killer wear a mask. The tone of suspense and horror that is evoked by the film without depicting much actual violence is something is also something that many admire. And believe it or not, Hooper was actually hoping for a PG rating for this film by not showing any explicit violence. That obviously didn't work. Uh, when the film came out, it was originally given an X rating and they had to edit it down even more so that they could land at at a R rating. Uh, I think that's absolutely insane that he thought he could get a PG rating for this (laughs) by not showing anyone.
1: Oh, you know, we're going to hang this woman on a meat hook. But, you know, (laughs) you won't see the hook going into her flesh. So
0: PG for sure. Yeah. Um, Bring your kids. Bring Bring your five year old. Who cares? Um... (laughs) It's the 70s. I mean, anything goes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, so. Lastly, uh, Hooper included the sequence at the beginning of the movie, stating that this movie is based on true events, though it's not, Uh, in order to communicate his feelings about the about political information that was happening at the time. He was responding to being, quote, lied to by the government about things that were going on all over the world, end quote, such as Watergate, the 1973 oil crisis and the Vietnam War. And then this last thing I'm going to say is a quote from directly from the Wikipedia page, which is also quoting from Hooper himself. So um, the, quote, lack of sentimentality and the brutality of things, unquote, that Hooper noticed while watching the local news, whose graphic coverage was epitomized by, quote, showing brains spilled spilled all over the road, unquote, led to his belief that, quote, man was the real monster here, just wearing a different face, so I, Hooper, put a little mask on the monster in my film, uh. unquote. So I apologize if that was a lot of disorganized information. Um, But like I said, there was so much information on this. I really had to kind of pick through what I thought were the most essential things to say and, and order it in whatever way I could. But it yeah, probably that's really fascinating, sense, so. actually. Yeah. Especially
1: that last part about kind of situating this movie within the sort of the, you know, paranoia and cynicism of the 1970s and that feeling that everything is kind of breaking down, everything is becoming more brutal, you can't trust anyone. It really makes a lot of sense for
0: the type of person that would make a movie like this. (laughs) Yeah, because what type of person would make a movie like this? Um, But yeah, so that is kind of the intro for this. So that being said, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Geneva, what are your thoughts on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Oh, boy. So this is one of those movies where I finished it, and I just thought, I have no idea how I'm going to rate this movie. Geneva, can you actually share a little bit about your relationship to the horror genre in general as well? Oh, yeah.
1: That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I am not a horror person historically. I did not really grow up watching horror at all. Um, It was just a genre that had no interest for me I'm a big old chicken (laughs) when it comes to (laughs) jump scares and gore (laughs) and things like that are you glad I texted you beforehand yes I I am thank you very much you're welcome Um, Tatum texted me beforehand and kind of pointed out here are the two most disturbing things just so you can be prepared for them so I did appreciate that a great deal um over now over the years I have consciously consciously been trying to get more into horror um I act, I am a lot more interested in the genre now. I I've, I've watched some of the kind of foundational horror movies. You know, I've watched Halloween, I've watched Nightmare on Elm Street. Um I showed you Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Dead. Street. You did. And it was great. We watched that in really Barcelona that. together. Yeah, oh, that was great. Yeah. Great night. Um but yeah, so I'm slowly edging my way into <laughs> appreciating horror. Um but it's definitely there, you know, there there's so much variety within horror, which is something I do really appreciate about it. There are many different subgenres within it. Um the slasher genre is definitely one that's kind of lower on my list of, you know, what I'm interested in when it comes to horror what I appreciate that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm coming at this definitely from a horror newbie who is slowly trying to acclimate herself, um, but does have kind of a lower tolerance for gore, for disturbing things, that sort of thing. Even
0: though Hannibal is one of your favorite TV shows of all time, which I still will (laughs) never understand. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit of a conundrum, isn't it? <laughs> it really is.
1: I don't it get really it. It really is. Yeah. It's a very well, disturbing thing. show. This is this is the fascinating thing, is like I tell people I'm not much of a horror person, but some of my favorite pieces of media of all time are horror. Mm-hmm. You know, um Hannibal is one, the terror, the miniseries, The Terror is very much a horror miniseries, and I'll rave about that to anyone who will listen. Um so I the the the, the the pieces of horror that I love, I really, really do love. Um, so anyway, all that is like context for where I'm coming at <laughs> watching mm-hmm. this movie. And also, like I said, I've, you know, I've been getting to, into some of the sort of foundational movies that started, you know, kind of started it all, but are from the 60s and 70s where I'm like, you know, these things, they kick, the things they kicked off are much more brutal The things from the 60s and 70s themselves are usually not that bad. You know, like Psycho, like by today's standards, is not really that scary. You know, um, uh, Halloween from today's standards is not really that scary. Um, So, you know, that's the mindset that I have going into it. Now, I will say, I think this movie is really, really well made. I can Mm. see why it was so influential. I think the cinematography and the camera work are just really artfully done i think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of really beautiful shots in this for a movie that is so (laughs) violent and grisly um i think the acting is you know considering from what i could tell none of the the main characters in this movie really you know none of them were really famous they they were actors but working actors but none of them had you know are, are really people who went on to have to be really well known. I think they're they're very good in their roles. And in particular, um Marilyn Burns, who plays Sally, I think she's she does really a really wonderful job handling an extremely difficult role of just basically screaming for <laughs> for thirty minutes at and the end. And having real hammers almost dropped on her head. Yeah. Like, and having her she,
0: fingers sliced mm-hmm. open.
1: And then the final shot where she's like her screaming has kind of turned into laughing maniacally. Like that's she she does great she she really handles that well so i think that's great um there's so much that is influential about this movie just you know even just little like shot progressions and um elements of the pacing that i saw like oh i i can see how that was later used in other horror movies you know i can see why this movie was that this influential all of that being said did you hate it this movie made me sick to my stomach. Oh,
0: okay. I
1: gotcha. I didn't hate the beginning, but mm-hmm. by the time it really started to pick up, by the time it was Marilyn running around for Marilyn, sorry, Sally, Marilyn Burns who plays Sally running was around it after Franklin died. 30 minutes, yeah. Okay. It just at a certain point, I had to pull up a second screen and kind of divert mm-hmm. half of my attention because I was just so sick of what i was seeing mm. and okay. so like disturbed and it's just brutal and it's so much brutality against a woman and in a way that i was just like i i'm not saying it's bad i think this is a very well made movie but it is not for me you know it's just I did not feel like I was getting very much out of it. I just felt like I wanted to throw up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> gotcha. Which is, a, you know, I think. 100%. I think that's a pretty legitimate response. Yeah, and I yeah. think one
1: hundred percent what Toby Hooper was probably trying to achieve from at least some mm-hmm. of his audience. So you know, he did he did the job. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it it's very much not for me.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Well, thank you for watching it all the way through um cuz you yeah, you didn't I'm have not... to do that <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah i'm not i'm glad that i have now watched it mm-hmm. i cannot see myself ever watching it again yeah <laughs> but i'm at least glad that i have that sort of grounding, in, you know, what this corner of horror can be like and i am definitely not tempted to explore any further into other chainsaw massacre movies I mean, or things like that i mean the other ones nature.
0: aren't very good anyway so um, I will say I'm very glad that I I had kind of floated the idea to Geneva when we were kind of figuring out what we were going to talk about around Halloween. I I kind of floated the idea of <laughs> of watching Saw. I'm really glad we didn't do that. I am so glad that we didn't do that. <laughs> I don't think I will ever make you watch the movie Saw. Um because Thank you. I appreciate that. Because I feel like Texas Chainsaw Massacre goes very much so for like a like a gritty um, like horrifying indie way mm. of approaching this whereas Saw is it definitely like has a low budget and all of that but it's it's a little bit more so of like horror for entertainment and I think that that would really really not work for you having all of this violence but like not that not that you're watching, you're like, oh man, like this is super entertaining. But it does have like twists and turns. I'm like, oh wow, that was unexpected, and blah blah blah. So yeah, uh I would not recommend you ever watching the movie Saw, and I will not make <laughs> yeah. you watch it for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, very
1: much so. Like, because with this movie, you know, it is it's grisly, it's you know, it's bleak, it's cynical, it's horrifying. But I do feel there is artistry there. I mm-hmm. feel like there's something being said, even if that thing being said is a very nihilistic, angry statement.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: even even with that, I, there were parts where I was like, I feel like this is just exploitative. You know, how long this is going on, how long we have to see this poor woman just sit there and be tortured. You know, this like I feel like I'm participating in something that is ugly and gross, you mm-hmm. know. Mm -hmm. and so i worry with other movies that kind of took that ball and ran with it that Mm -hmm. that the artistry would disappear and that feeling of i'm just participating in a a snuff film or something like that would would increase
0: yeah i mean i i would agree with you and that like in my opinion and this is not me hating on like people who love horror movies because you know i live in chicago i i don't really I've never really understood this but the city of Chicago has a huge population of people that are obsessed with horror like they're just people who love 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 horror movies and I have lots of friends that I work with or that I'm just friends with that love horror movies it's like their thing and so I don't want to like discount those people Um, but for me slasher films are not necessarily my go-to and I do think like there are a lot of movies that just have the slasher aspect without the artistry behind it Um, but I think that this movie, it does have artistry behind it, in my opinion. So that's why I'm able to, uh, kind of tolerate it, tolerate it a little bit more. And Saw also does have artistry, in my opinion, um, the first one anyway, um, even though it does have entertainment to it as well. And one of the best twists in cinema of all time, in my opinion, um, but yeah, okay, cool. Well, that's actually good for me to know because that changes the way that I will kind of approach talking about this movie because I don't want to make you sick and I don't want to make you dwell on things <laughs> that might not be um, helpful for you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I will do my best,
1: but yeah, yeah. Just, I, I, it was one of those movies you finish it and you just feel like, all right, I need to like wash my brain out. I need to sit and watch something completely mindless and stupid yeah. and
0: just disconnect from the world at large i would highly recommend you watch uh season three episode 11 of (laughs) (laughs) um no don't do that uh but yeah so okay thank you for watching it um so as far as my relationship to this movie so my story is actually kind of similar to geneva's a little bit in the sense that growing up Horror was not my thing. I grew up in a household where it was like, this is demonic. Do not watch these things, which some of them are literally demonic because it's about demons. Um, So it was something that I never really got into growing up. and, And I had this perspective of movies are either like really, really dark, scary things that are evil or they're just dumb popcorn entertainment. That was my belief of horror movies for a very long time. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but a few years ago, I had this really long list that I made of like all the movies that I thought I had to see in order to consider myself a film person. And I had several horror films on that list because I'd never really watched horror. Um, And so this was one of them. This was probably one of the first ones that I watched on that list because it's known to be one of the best horror movies of all time. So I was like, I might as well start with the best. Um, and I watched this movie and I was like, whoa, I really need to start watching more horror (laughs) movies. I, because I'd never watched horror movies before, I was just like, I've never seen anything like this. This is really disturbing, but in a way that makes me look at life in an interesting, weird way that I've never looked at it before. And, um, so I, I really... Uh, not enjoyed I was very taken aback by this film the first time I watched it <laughs> hard to say this is a movie you enjoyed it's one of those movies where you're like I need
1: to find a different way to phrase this
0: yeah like I, w- I was taken aback by it I was very I was very um I was very drawn into the story and the dynamics of because I thought it was just going to be oh a bunch of people getting killed by some dude with a chainsaw but I didn't expect the family aspect and the like the mental illness aspect of it of this is a generational thing. We have a grandfather. We have a father. We have two sons. We have all of these different things. And I think that that's really where it sounds like for you that's when the movie started to turn you off a little bit. Whereas for me that was when I was like oh this is something different. This isn't just like people running around getting killed. This is actually like a commentary on just people. And it, f- it felt more real to me as opposed to like, this is a fantasy world where people get killed and they scream because, oh my gosh, the cliche of everyone shows up and then they disappear one by one and the blonde girls left at the end. It added another aspect to it that I very much so was interested in um, because it took it from just being like, from just being violent for violence sake to being disturbing and interesting. Um, So, and similar to what you said, I think it's, I think it's like, it's, it's shot in a very uh, interesting way. It was shot on film, uh, but like not the standard 35 millimeter film because they wanted to save money. So they used a a cheaper type of film. Um, I think that, I think that the way that it builds tension is really masterful. I think it it plays into that, you know, I I hate to call it a trope because that sounds, you know, like uh, diminutive. Is that a word? It sounds like, yeah. 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 But like, it it definitely plays into that horror, you know, um, journey of like, you know, don't do it why are you going in there don't do the thing like (laughs) oh it's funny i'd I'd seen um cabin in the woods years Mm -hmm. ago which
1: has that scene you know where all the the friends pull up at a gas station in their van to get gas right before they're about to head off to the cabin in the woods and the old man's like don't go there and i was like oh
0: that's where that comes from yeah yeah and so i feel like this movie from the very beginning it's just like left and right like don't pick up the hitchhiker don't go to this house, don't go inside the house, don't go to the neighbor's house, don't go inside of the neighbor's house, like, don't leave the van, don't go running into the forest, like, all of these different things, and I thought that it just, I love when, when horror movies are able to be horrifying without showing how horrifying, like, without showing the actual horror, and I feel like this movie really builds up to showing the horror later on, um and i don't know i just think that the writing and the pacing and the structure of the story is just really well done um in a way that i admire i think it's very concise it's told in less than an hour and a half and you're told exactly what you need to be told and you see exactly what you need to see and nothing more nothing less in my opinion um so yeah i don't know i i i i really like this movie a lot. I think um, it's definitely not a movie that I'm going to, like, watch all the time, but I, I, I admire the craft of it, even though hearing about the production of it was terrible. I don't admire that at all. Um, but I think it came together in a way that, I don't know, f- for me, as someone who, like, loves, you know, seeing indie films that are made on a very small budget, but they tell very enticing stories... I think that this movie does a very good job of that in a genre that often can be very, I don't know, not as satisfying and engaging. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is fun- fascinating how often I feel like um, a lot of these sort of genre redefining horror movies are Indie movies that are made on a small Mm -hmm. budget and perform way over their expectations. Like you think as you were reading those numbers, I was thinking of the Blair Witch Project from like 1999 and how that was a shoestring budget made by, you know, people basically right out of film school, which is, you know, actors who are are just up and coming in the the business trying to get somewhere. And what they created was a huge cultural phenomenon that completely redefined how horror movies are made. You know, there's just that something about that low to the ground desperation and passion and creativity and like need to be really ingenious about the way you use your resources that mm-hmm. can sometimes spark really brilliance and um, yeah, some, create something really original um, in the horror genre.
0: Make horror movies low budget again. <laughs> that would actually be a fun letterbox list to make of like groundbreaking, ho- groundbreaking horror movies made on small budgets. Like Jaws mm-hmm. would be on there, Under the Skin would be on there, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Blair Witch Project. Like that, that would be an interesting list to yeah. make. I mean, a lot of like the the A twenty four horror movies, right? The sort of elevated mm-hmm. horror movies um, are kind
1: of fit within that as well, or something like the Baba Duke. You know, these things that are very much indie projects that suddenly blow up and get all this attention.
0: I wonder what the budget for Rosemary's Baby was. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and just kind of going with the, you know, the tension of the movie and, and the pacing of it, because I don't know if you sense the same thing. Maybe you said this and I just forgot, but did you have a feeling that, like, the pacing of the movie and the way that it built – was really well because I feel like from the very beginning it establishes this concept of like we kind of know what we're getting into because we see this body kind of in this in this field and then we hear this radio broadcast over these credits of this guy talking about like there's this town and people are disappearing and we don't know what's happening and then that transitions us into the van because they're listening to it in the van and you know From the very beginning, we have this kind of formidable sort of feeling and then it just, I don't know. For me, I felt like it it really did a good job of starting somewhere and slowly building, 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 building.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that
0: connected with you at all, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said. Like what you'd mentioned earlier about Hooper, sort of, you know, that, that 1970s cynicism that we were talking about, that idea that the world is all bad and everything is falling apart and, you know, violence and brutality are everywhere. Situating it with those news stories is such a brilliant way to to set that scene because it's news stories from all over the world. Like they're talking about, you know, violence broke out here and these bodies were discovered here and then it starts to center on here and here's the local thing that happened, which is... These um, not only are people disappearing, but also these like I guess bodies have been dug up out of the cemetery and desecrated mm-hmm. and turned into this horrific monument. And so you know we're starting off with this idea of this incredibly idea unsettling idea of you know I guess desecration is kind of the word for it, but this idea that you know this horror these norms are being broken and. There is some sort of evil at play that is, you know, there's madness at play. You know, you, you can't really understand why it's just happening and there's no explanation. And all of a sudden the most horrifying thing ha- you've ever seen before happens. And that then continues when they pick up the hitchhiker, which was mm-hmm. just such an effective way to set the the scene early on before there's any actual deaths is just they pick up a hitchhiker they're a little bit divided Which on it. Which so you I'm already like, yeah, know fine. they shouldn't
0: do. Yeah, I mean,
1: bad idea. Like, <laughs> I'm amazed that hitchhiking culture lasted as long as it did. But um, he's just immediately like the weirdest, creepiest guy you've ever seen before. Just the way he talks, the way he sits, the way he's like all jumping from topic to topic. And well, I think some of them even these...
0: said they were like, "He looks crazy. Like, don't yeah, pull like over. don't do it." <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. You know, he, he keeps pulling out all... Talking about how his, his family used to be in Meat or
0: something like that. And, like, pulling out all these photos of, like... Um, but also, Franklin is super into it in a way Franklin's that's really, really freaky. He's mm-hmm. like, my family was into this, too. Like, mm-hmm. blah. I'm like, dude, what? Yeah. Like, getting again into the, the sort of
1: generational theming to what we can talk about a little bit later. But, you know... And like I feel like you know as a woman I've definitely been in this circumstance and I think a lot of people but especially women can be in the circumstance where you're like you're in a situation and it's your alarm bells are going off and it could go it could be fine but it could take a turn for the worse and then it takes a turn for the worst, and you're like, "Oh gosh, how do I get out of the situation?" And I mean, it, in my situation, it, it was it ended up being fine. But in this, it situation, wasn't a chainsaw it, masker. Yeah, he did not suddenly plunge a pen knife into his hand. But that's what happens here. Is like all of a sudden he just starts cutting open his hand, and everyone is just like shocked. Like, what do we do? Like this, the most disturbing, freaky thing that you know every norm is being violated is happening in front of you and he's just acting like that's the most normal thing in the world and they're and just they like- still
0: don't let him out until he cuts franklin i'm <laughs> no. like why are you guys waiting so you guys are the most i mean like- i would have
1: kicked him out of that van a long time before we even got i the wouldn't have let cutting, him in but- the van
0: So no. like, once he took a picture of them it's like everyone's like yeah. that's no, kind of no, no, no. weird that's that's yeah no i out did you know. i did really like though again kind of Returning back to what I was saying before, this idea of how this film does such a good job, it just—it does a really good job of kind of foreshadowing things that are to come. And I think that there's things that I was noticing this time around on rewatch that I didn't necessarily pick up on before, you know, because we have the opening sequence of um, like the first things that we see in the film are a bunch of photographs of these body parts of like decaying body parts. Which kind of helps us make that connection that when he's taking the photo of them, this somehow is going to relate to these photos of these like decaying body parts. And then also after he cuts his hand and he gets out of the van, when he puts his hand on the van, I'm like, oh, he's marking it. Like he is marking that van and I didn't make that connection last time. And so I think that it's just really, it's just really well done how from the very beginning, it's giving you all of these puzzle pieces that you can use to kind of put together to have everything all click into place later. Um, Yeah, I just, I, I, I think it's, I think it's great how the story is just
1: structured. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. They spend so much time looking at the the mark, the bloody mark on the van and trying to figure out, is it some sort of symbol? Like, does it mean something when really I think all that it means, like you said, is that it's been marked. You know, mm-hmm. the fact
0: that the blood is on there is what is significant. Well, you even see that when they pull up to the gas station that has no fucking gas, like <laughs> what? The One of the guys comes out and is washing the car. He mm-hmm. washes the whole van except for that spot, which is really like, oh, oh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, you, you really need to make sure that this mark is distinct. You got to be able to see it. Um, but yeah, and kind of just like going from there in terms of just the structure and the pacing, I think it's really great how it takes so long for us to get to that first killing because this movie is not very long. Like I said, it's an hour and 20 minutes. And it takes us about, like, 30 minutes to get to that first Possibly killing.
1: even more. Like, it really felt to me like the first killing doesn't happen until halfway through the movie. I'm probably wrong about that. And then it just speeds through and after then, that. But yeah, it's just, like, absolutely just train out of control from there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I want to talk about that first killing, too, though, because... It's kind of a a very famous scene. Like if you go on the internet or YouTube yeah, and you yeah. look up like Texas well, Chainsaw Massacre scene, this is we, the one that comes up.
1: Yeah. Before we talk about that, should we maybe set up some of the characters and the the de- dynamics between them?
0: Sure, we like, can. Because we,
1: we talked briefly about Franklin, and um, obviously we'll talk a lot about Sally. But they're they're brother and sister. Um, Franklin is in a wheelchair; he's disabled. Um, and there's this sort of tension in the group where it seems like these are Sally's friends and they were going to go on this road trip and then Franklin sort of somehow ended up getting roped in and there is that sort of, you know, he feels kind of out of place. They feel like he's out of place. They're all friendly toward each other, but there's kind of simmering stuff going on. But there's also this all this talk that happens mostly from Franklin, I think, from what I remember about how he and Sally's family owns this big house in the area and their their grandparents used to be in meat and like that so the weird. theme of like butchery you know <sighs> butchering animals butchering cattle chickens whatever it is is just a huge theme throughout this movie like visually and also just in terms of you know literally what the the killers in this family are doing is this kind of twisted reinterpretation of what sally and franklin's family used to do
0: yeah and i guess again tying that into the structure a little bit and just like the foreshadowing and and the tension of how things are paced and organized i think it's really interesting that franklin kind of goes off on this really creepy you know monologue about the violence and how he was so intrigued by the butchering that their grandparents did that when they get to this big house You think that that's where the violence is going to happen. It's like, oh man, like once they walk through there, but then you realize later on that it's not actually that house, it's the neighbors next door. And so it's even further prolonging and building this tension of like, oh, it's not happening yet. Oh, it's not happening. When's it going to happen? You know, and I think that it's just like another, another, the, the fact that he has that whole monologue just like adds on to the, um just the tension that builds
1: yeah yeah there's so much tension as they're walking through and exploring this mansion and um i mean there is one real sign that something is out of place when franklin comes upon this creepy like pile of bones outside of the door and then he looks up and there's like this dangling bone monument so Mm -hmm. someone has been there to kind of mark their spot but other than that it's just it's a decaying mansion that used to be like you know, clearly the the house of the wealthiest people in the land and it's just completely fallen into to disrepair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a spot for these young kids to kind of come and sort of play act, <laughs> I don't know, exploring and um, talk about what their lives used used to be like back when their family had money. But um, it, it's very innocent in, in the way that they're kind of exploring it, you know, not realizing what's about to happen.
0: Yeah, so then... Pam and Kirk, they're like, oh, look at that house over there. Let's go get some gas from them. And we're all like.
1: Mistake number one.
0: Yeah. We're all like, don't go. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's a stranger. No, don't do it. But they go anyway. That was really mistake number one if we're being on it no mistake number one is
1: picking up the hitchhiker there yes. are many mistakes we're well
0: mistake, mistake number one was them dry I think someone says it at some point it might be Sally they were like we should have gotten gas beforehand so we didn't get mm. stuck out here <laughs> um, That's like rule number one of road trips when I drove to Montana we were like if we hit half a tank of gas we're going to fill up because we don't know when we're gonna see the next gas station um, but yes. Uh, So, yeah, then then Kirk and Pam, they wander over to the neighbor's house because they're like, hey, maybe they have some gas that can help us. I think it's very interesting, again, kind of the foreshadowing that they walk over and they see all of these cars. There's all of these cars and it's like they're kind of the art of cars, you might say. Yeah. And they're and they are they kind of don't really think about it. They're just like, oh, look, that's a lot of cars. Let's go on. Doop, 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 doop. All of these cars, by the way, which seem to be
1: covered with this sort of almost military netting that's, like, camouflaged as if they're afraid of, I don't know, satellites overhead could take overhead photos. I was kind of struck by that because I don't know if you were really paranoid about that yet in the 70s.
0: Obviously, we are now with Google Maps and everything, but I just thought that was interesting. Or it could just be a tarp that they put up that happened to look like that. I don't know. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh, it could have been a thematic thing that Hooper put in there specifically to reference, you know, wars that were happening at the time. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they get to the house, and um, we have this iconic, well-known uh, opening sequence where Kirk walks into the house, and of course, we have this long sequence of "Hello, is anyone in here? Hello, is anyone in here?" It's like there's no one here. Turn around. <laughs> stop it's like maybe if i go deeper into the house i'll find somebody maybe if i walk through this doorway into a very dark red room with all of these animal carcasses on the wall i'll find the person who lives back here and they could give me gas for my vehicle um and then obviously this was
1: sorry i should just say this was the first moment where i had the thought you know these kids are just trespassing in someone's home like you know yes
0: they definitely are. Uh, so,
1: they <laughs> they the killers are really just practicing self defense, like.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, I would say that they succeeded in that. Um, oh, gosh, <laughs> but yeah. So then, as he walks through this, you know, this doorway, leather face, we see him for the first time as just this kind of massive Hulk, almost of a man. He just comes out and he hits him on the head with this hammer, and Kirk just drops to the ground. And then he starts kind of um, just kind of flopping like a fish, yeah, which is flailing
1: around. It's so disturbing,
0: which is calling back to the things that Franklin was describing in the car about when they would kill animals. They'd be like, oh, yeah, we'd hit them once, but it wouldn't be enough. So we'd have to hit him a second time. And it's kind of a connection to what Franklin was saying before. And then after Leatherface kind of drives him back into the room, we have this, in my opinion, I in. Incre- I think it's the most terrifying moment of the movie when he slams this door shut. Mm -hmm. He like the force with which he pulls this metal door shut is so frightening that the introduction to this character of just, he kind of nonchalantly hits this guy over the head in a way that's just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to hit this guy in the head and drag him into this room, whatever. But then violently shuts this door It kind of establishes this concept of, oh, this person is very kind of unstable and all over the place and not really in regulation of their emotions because they can go from being kind of disconnected to then being super angry from like at the snap of or I don't know what phrase I'm thinking of, but like um, it just can automatically switch from one thing to another. And I think it's just an incredible introduction to this character it is terrifying the way he shuts that door my god I'm like oh this is this is really scary yeah and the um um,
1: the production design too and the sort of um what's I'm not thinking of the word but the the weird um disconnect between the sort of crumbling Victorian dark wood you know it looks like a house it looks like a crumbling victorian house of the the stairs and the hallway and then the the clean metal of this door and it looks like mm-hmm. you know like a cattle mm-hmm. car or something like that that is being shut like the the weird juxtaposition between those two is just so effective in like oh this house is a it's a trap and it's a factory for you know the production of of meat in in this you know really secretive furtive horrifying way
0: yeah so then from here I think we can kind of just like snowball until we get into the final sequence with Sally but basically after this we have Pam who kind of gets to a point where she's like okay Kirk's been in the house for a while uh maybe I should go like find him and see what's going on so then we have yet another sequence of her walking around hello is anybody here Kirk hello? (laughs) It's like, turn around. So then she walks into this room and she collapses onto the ground. She sees all of these different, um, which, oh my gosh, we have such long sequences of this camera just kind of showing all of these different, um, bones and structures that are built out of the bones all around this room. We have a live chicken that's in a cage. We have this like couch throne built out of like, you know, femurs and, Human bones, you know, and there's spines all over the place, and skulls, and and yada yada yada, yeah, and like if feathers, and
1: if you're familiar with the the true crime story of Ed Gein, who is kind of the inspiration for Psycho, um, like the original also inspiration Silence for of Psycho. the Lambs, yeah, yeah, I I would assume that it's probably partly inspired by that.
0: It is, yeah, the that killer inspired this one Silence of the Lambs and Psycho, um, which you can kind of see similarities between all three of them. Um, But yeah, so she basically is so freaked out that she kind of doesn't even register that she can get up and and leave almost. Um, So then she ends up finding herself in the hands of Leatherface in a really, really awful sequence where um, he brings her into this back room and he literally hangs her on a hook that from the ceiling Uh and in front of her is kirk uh on the table who i think he's already dead which gives me a little bit of comfort um (laughs) he's already dead and he gets chopped up by Leatherface. i'm not going to go into gruesome detail about it yeah Um, but
1: poor pam is like she's still alive she's on this hook and she's watching it all and she's begging and crying and yeah this was the moment where i was just like oh no this is yeah well actually from the moment that they hit, they picked up the hitchhiker was really the moment where I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some problems with this movie. <laughs> but-
0: yeah, I, and then eventually we find out that which this is another one of the most scary sequences for me because for me it's like a worst nightmare. Which like, I mean, all of this is a worst nightmare, but um, there is a moment when Jerry then comes looking for them, and before Leatherface registers that Jerry is actually in the home. Jerry makes, makes his way into that back room and kind of sees what's going on. And Pam is like trying to get out of the freezer, which is horrifying to me that she's stuck in a freezer freezing to death. Like I just, ooh. and so Jerry opens it and Pam like flings out of this freezer and she's like flailing or whatever. And then Leatherface hears that she's screaming and then he comes in and he also kills Jerry. So three people are now dead uh super fun
1: there's there's this moment where leatherface like after he kills jerry he kind of looks around and he's like where'd he go well it, to me it more read like shit like now what do i do you know where it's people. like this moment of like three people like i thought it was just the two but the third one kept coming are there more you mm-hmm. know out there and then it's like well now we got to go find out if there are more people who are going to keep coming because we have to you know keep our domain preserved
0: yeah totally so you get them
1: like, these kids are trespassing in this guy's house. Like, like <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. So Geneva's don't don't ever break into Geneva's <laughs> yeah. home is what she's saying.
1: I've got a chainsaw. Uh, I keep it under my pillow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after this kind of continuing the, the snowballing. So then we have Sally and Franklin. Uh, after a while, they've kind of been waiting for their friends to come back. And at this point, the sun is going down until it's dark. And they're just like, what do we do? Like, do we go looking for them? And then Sally keeps they had insisting. This, they have
1: this really nice kind of very sibling-y argument um, about, you know, Franklin's like, you didn't want me to come, did you? And Sally's like, just just shut up. We're just going to wait. And I don't know. We we get so little of the relationship between the two, but the the moments of brother-sisterliness that we see
0: kind of just add to the tragedy of it all Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah so then they kind of their argument kind of continues because sally is insisting i'm gonna go look for them we can't just stay here but franklin's like i have to come with you i'm not gonna let you go alone but then sally's like i can't push you through the fields like you have to stay here and i'm gonna go he's like but we have to stay together and then she's like well basically she gets to a point where she's like well fuck it i'm just gonna go and then franklin being the good brother that he is is like, well, I'm going to have to figure out a way to come after you. Cause I'm not letting you go alone. So he starts going with her into the grass over to this house to see if they can find the others. Um, they don't get very far <laughs> because oh. then Leatherface finds them and pretty much immediately kills Franklin. Uh, Cause Franklin can't really run yeah. or Fully get away. Fully stabs him
1: with a chainsaw. Like he multiple does. Multiple times.
0: Yes, he does. I mean, I'm trying not to be graphic, Geneva, for your sake, <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but I can start to describe the killings if you want. I'm um, sorry, I can
1: be less graphic.
0: I mean, I don't care. I'm just trying to be sensitive to you. Um, but yeah, so so Leather Pace, Leather Pace, Leatherface kills Franklin, uh, which then begins the extremely long sequence of Sally... Running and screaming for the remaining 30, it's not even 30 minutes. It's like 20 to 25 minutes, but it feels like it's forever. It feels like an eternity. Yes. Um, so I will say this whole sequence of him kind of chasing her around in the forest before she gets to the gas station, I think is a horrifying. But also, I think part of the reason that it's horrifying is the way that it is edited together. Because I think that a lot of it is we see Sally running and she's running and then she's falling and then she's getting up. And sometimes Leatherface is like, right on her tails but then other times he's farther away but you still hear the chainsaw and the Mm. chainsaw is quieter and then louder and then and so like the sound of this chainsaw is really such a great way for us to know how close she is to death basically without necessarily seeing Leatherface but then there are some shots where we do see him right behind her and the way that it's shot makes it feel like he's right on top of her like he is right there and he's kind of this silhouette But he's lit just enough that you can like see his face and see the chainsaw like it's just so I think it's so artfully shot and edited together in such a way that makes it way more horrifying than it than it would otherwise be because it could have just been some guy chasing her around while she screams with a chainsaw and it's like yeah I mean that's kind of scary But the way that this is put together, I think is just so masterfully done to be able to create this sense of horror, you know, in in the audience, in the audience members. So I don't know. I know that obviously this is when it started to get really hard for you. But do you connect with that at all in terms of like just how it's shot and put together? Do you see it as masterful? Because I think it's so well done.
1: Uh, Yeah, this is the part where I really started to dip back in and out with okay. um, my full attention. Gotcha. So, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't watching, but I maybe was not
0: watching as
1: fully. Okay, <laughs> as gotcha. Some other parts. That's
0: valid. Um, So then again, like playing with, not playing with, but commenting on the structure and the tension of this film, I think it's so great that just when we all know that we're getting to the climax of this film we have this moment of relief of just oh like, Oh my goodness. Just like, Oh my gosh, just give me, just give me a second to breathe, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I need a minute. And the movie does such a good job of, you know, I, at least in my opinion, when she gets to the gas station, we know that it isn't over, but at the same time, in my viewing of it, even though we know it isn't over, I don't initially know that this man she's bumping into is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He seems like a good guy. But when he leaves, and obviously we have this, in my opinion, incredible shot of just the door being open for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Because, sorry, I'm kind of speaking round and about, but she barely escapes Leatherface. He's like, mm-hmm. right, He's like on right, right on top of her. her heels. Mm-hmm. And then she gets into this door and all of a sudden it's quiet. We don't see him anymore anymore anything it's like he just disappeared out of thin air or yeah but then you know we have we have the old man kind of walk out and then it's just this pitch black door complete silence she's kind of like okay am i safe am i not safe she really doesn't know but you can tell she wants to feel relieved but she can't and
1: her acting here again is so incredible the the jerky way that she moves her head as she looks is looking around the room like you can tell she's in shock her adrenaline is just completely through the roof yeah it's fantastic
0: yeah and then which talking about good acting performances in my opinion I was completely blown away the old man comes back after the truck backs up and his face has transformed before when we see him he seems kind of like oh he's maybe a normal dude yeah this is a weird place but he could probably maybe be a normal guy But then he comes back in and his face is contorted. He looks like a maniacal, insane murderer person. And that transformation I think is just so well done. And then all of us er, all of us. And then I'm like, okay, here we go. Take a deep (laughs) breath. We're going right back in it. Okay, cool. (laughs) Thanks for those sixty seconds.
1: There's that great pan as she's—I think it's as she's waiting. Still, he's not yet come back. Where she's looking around the room and just kind of registering all the sort of you know normal things that you would expect to find in a in a person's home, and then she just looks over at the stove and there is mm-hmm. so much meat, being, so much meat being roasted, and you know some of it is clearly like sausages and things like that, but some of it's pretty undefinable. Like, what and you like, it? I don't know what this is. And I think that's the moment where she starts to realize, oh, no, something is wrong.
0: Yes. So, yeah. So he comes back with a rope and a sack, being a typical creepy murderer who's like, don't worry. It's going to be fine. Just come over here. It's like, oh, my gosh. So, um, so he ends up taking her back to the house, the farmhouse. And this is when we really start to understand. I think we all kind of knew that the hitchhiker was somehow related to this. Um, but this is when we start to really realize, oh, this is a family. Like, this is mm-hmm. a father and this is two sons. And this is – but then I actually forgot this. Mm-hmm. I forgot that there was a grandfather. And so I'm watching this and I'm like and, – and they tell him to go get grandpa. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Whatever. And we all think he's just like some, they've been keeping this dead person yeah. in a chair for a long time. But Psycho then we style. realize, oh no, he's alive. <laughs> like <laughs> we don't know what's wrong with him. Anyone who looks like that should be dead. I don't know how he's still alive. Doesn't matter. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because
1: um, there had been multiple references to Dracula early in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like um, yeah. Franklin had talked about, I think the that the, hitchhiker I think it looked like Dracula when they pull up at the the abandoned house they talk about how it looks like something Bela Lugosi (laughs) lived in or something like that Mm -hmm. but now this grandpa is literally sucking the blood out Mm -hmm. of this woman like he literally
0: lives on blood yeah I yeah, so basically they bring grandpa downstairs for dinner time and uh the thing that grandpa gets to eat is Sally's blood. They cut her finger, mm-hmm. he sucks on it for quite a long time. Um and then she blacks out and then she wakes up again and she is sitting at the head of the table and you know the the father and the two sons they kind of have this family spat, but in a way that mass murderers have a family spat basically um, and they end Your up typical having a mass murderer, family spat, right? And they end up having this really interesting argument, in my opinion, where the, the, where the sons are basically telling their dad, like, you don't do any of the hard work. You just, you're just the chef. You just cook the food. We're the ones that have to do all the hard work. And so they end up having this really interesting, in my opinion, argument where they're kind of figuring out, like who's actually the one in power here? Who's the one that has the ranking? But very clearly because he's the dad and these two sons are are mentally ill and who knows what their father has done to them to have them have this sort of relationship because they're both so dangerous to others. But once this figure is in the room, the two of them become like puppy dogs, which almost terrifies me more than anything. I'm like, what did this man do to these people to make them... Have this relationship with him and behave in this way towards others. Um, but then we learned that the grandfather was the best killer of them all. And so they're like, well, let's let him kill Sally. Let's watch him do it. Um, and before that happens, we have this really kind of like disgustingly beautiful shot of Sally's eyes. Her eyeballs are kind of flittering around the room. And we have these extreme close ups of her pupils and this bright green um i i don't necessarily have a thematic interpretation as to why the film does that or if there's a deeper meaning um but i just thought it was worth mentioning that we have a pretty you know long instance where we have shots of her eyes yeah Um, i don't know too and it 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 was very disturbing
1: to me yeah
0: Yeah. so i would just like to say that throughout all of this she's just screaming she is constantly screaming constantly screaming non-stop screaming non-stop screaming I mean and sure when she has screaming been, but... she's
1: begging for her life as you would as anyone would in that situation
0: yes so basically they pull her over to the end of the table because they're gonna have the grandfather kill her because he's the best killer of them all and Leatherface um, gives the grandfather a hammer while she's bent over a bucket so that he can hit her in the head and kill her and it's this long extended sequence where he keeps trying to hit her in the head, but he can't do it because he keeps missing. It's falling on the floor. It's falling in the bucket. All of these he's different things. One
1: hundred and seventy-five
0: years old. Yeah, slash a zombie. Like I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going <laughs> um, on. There. But so through the circumstance of this, um, the the hitchhiker's son, he ends up getting frustrated. He's like, "All right, Grandpa, like give me the hammer. You can't do it. I'm the one who's the best at this. Give me the hammer." And so in the process of him letting go of Sally to take the hammer, she manages to get loose enough that she can run. So she runs out of the house screaming (laughs) and Leatherface continues to chase after her with the chainsaw yet again. Um, At this point, the sun has, has started to rise. So she's been stuck with these men for a very long time. Um, She's gone through the night with them and now the sun is rising. So She makes it out to the street and Leatherface is still chasing her around. Um, And yet again, when he gets very close to, you know, being on top of her, there's this truck that comes and well, actually, no, he hits the truck hits the um, the hitchhiking brother first.
1: So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fully runs over him, too. Yeah. I was like,
0: how did they film that? It's a pretty impressive effect. I feel like a lot of their budget probably went to getting that dummy, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, so the hitchhiker brother gets run over first, then the truck driver stops, and then he stops, and uh, Sally's running towards him, and then the truck driver recognizes, oh, there's a man with a chainsaw chasing after you. Whatever will we do? And so- Gotta say, this truck driver, what a champ. I okay so I will say I was a little bit confused. I'm like you could have just started the truck and driven away as opposed to going out the other side, but whatever, this is a horror movie. Um I will also say that you know this is just a common issue I have with horror movies and there's a reason it's become a trope and a joke. Uh I just don't like that he's a black man and he just gets killed right away. I just Wait. Wait, he gets killed? yeah oh no no okay anyway I'm not gonna get into that hold on okay we'll we'll get there but yes thank you for correcting me I thought his fate was uncertain
1: I thought we don't see whether Mm -hmm. he or not he gets killed
0: yes so I'm gonna get to that thank you for bringing that up so um so yeah so basically like the two of them get into the truck but they can't fully like drive away for whatever reason so then they get out of the truck on the other side and Leatherface is still still chasing after them um but then another pickup truck pulls up And Sally manages to get into the back of this pickup truck and uh, they start driving away and she is still screaming because she's been constantly screaming. But then as they get further and further away from Leatherface, she does her her screaming does kind of transform into, I think it's still screaming, but, but it's like scream laughing. It's like hysterical laughter. It's like she is not in control
1: of anything that she's doing.
0: Yeah, it's just like I'm terrified, I'm in shock, I'm relieved, I'm confused, I'm physically exhausted, like all of the things at once, which I think is just a really great performance, but on top of that, I think that in a weird way, this this shot of her sitting in the back of the truck is very beautiful. Her mm. like the lighting of where the sun is at with the color of the, you know, the faint kind of bright blue truck with you know, this blood on her face and the way she's lit from behind. It really is kind of this this beautiful shot, in my opinion. Um, and then we cut back to Leatherface and he's kind of just furiously waving his chainsaw mm-hmm. around. In another really beautiful shot where he's mm-hmm. sort of silhouetted against
1: the rising sun and the, yes. the fields in the distance. And yeah, he's just kind of like frustratedly like sort of waving that chainsaw around. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so...
0: So all of that being said, I wanted to talk a little bit about the ending if you're willing to engage with it. Because for me, the first time I watched this movie, I was very unhappy with the ending Mm -hmm. because I was like, we've had this whole movie building up to this thing and we've established how terrifying and how dangerous this family is. And she just like is able to get free and run out of the house and then a truck happens to pull up like has this never happened before that like trucks go by and people run out like because seemingly they've killed hundreds of people so how has this never happened before or like it seemed like yesterday this wasn't a busy road which is why they were stuck and now in the course of five minutes we have two vehicles going by like I don't I was very um I was very unsatisfied with the ending the first time I saw this because I felt like it was a very quick resolution in a way that just didn't make sense and I'm like oh she just got away like I don't get it and I think this time around I did read it a little bit differently I'm still not fully satisfied with the ending because I'm still kind of I I don't think it's consistent with the story to all of a sudden at the end have these vehicles going by and they weren't there yesterday like it just doesn't make sense to me but I will say This time around, I didn't see the ending as a happy ending. The first time I was like, oh, look, she's free and now she gets to go away. And this time around, I was like, oh, she might have gotten away. But what happens to that guy who was left behind? And is she actually getting away? Because this time around, I was like, oh, maybe the unlikelihood of this happening and that truck pulling up maybe she actually didn't get away because we we see a we see a pickup truck earlier that like the father backs up in and i'm like maybe she didn't actually get away maybe they're driving the truck that she just hopped back into and so for me i i found the ending to be a little bit less dissatisfying this time because it felt like this isn't a happy ending the story yeah. continues yeah
1: well we we never see the face of the pickup truck driver mm-hmm um i think intentionally so we she right. gets into it it slows down enough for her to stop but we don't see a, the human behind the the wheel making that decision and so i my interpretation of it is i don't think it's necessarily a part of the family of killers i think it is just a passerby but i think there is a level of commentary in the sense that um just being picked up by a random man does not mean you're safe. Like, if you're a woman, who knows who this man is or what he could do to her? Assuming that it's a man, but it seems like it is. And at one point in earlier in the story, you know, she thought she'd found safety with a seemingly normal-looking man, and that turned out to be a horrifying experience that just put her back where she, you know, was before. So even if this man is not part of that family of killers it does not mean that she's safe. There is a sense, there is this ambiguity that it ends on. She could be safe, but also the cycle could continue. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So that's why I was able to, uh, I guess, tolerate the ending a little bit more this time. I was like, this is not a cle- like clean cut. All right, she got away. It's more so like, nah this story isn't over like we don't know where it's going we don't know if it's gonna follow her or if it's gonna follow the truck driver or both of them but this story is not over it weirdly really reminded
1: me this is a very different movie in a very different genre so it's only the idea of being picked up at the very end by a faceless driver in a pickup truck that you never see and you don't really know where they're going to or if this person has good intentions or not. Driving Miss Daisy? <laughs> I have not seen Driving Miss Daisy. No, it reminded me to the end of um, My Own Private Idaho. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Highly recommend. Um, I think you would find it really interesting. It's a River Phoenix. Um. Anyway, we can talk about it later. But yeah, great movie. But that that's sort of ambiguity about the ending and about the intentions of the the faceless driver um allows you to kind of read many different possible paths
0: that the story could take afterwards yeah yeah so anyway that's the ending of the movie um yeah i yeah (laughs) i i mean i don't know I, i i just i think this movie is great i i just i think it's so it's very well made it looks great um like I said before it doesn't it doesn't show more than you need to it doesn't show less than you need to it just shows exactly the right amount i think it's a masterclass of structure and building tension um i think that the dynamic between the father the grandfather and these two sons is incredibly fascinating um that scene where they're at the table and she's just screaming for a really long time i just I don't know. I just think it's interesting to step into the lives of what, like what, what is the, what are the lives of these people? Cause I think it sounds like you and, you know, rightfully so. I think a lot of other people as well, they're very focused on how is Sally being treated or how is Sally interacting with this experience that's going on? Whereas for me, especially on the second viewing, I'm just fascinated by the dynamic of this family. Like, like, this is what they do like every day or, or on the regular? Like what? I don't know. I, I just I want to learn more about them and what what their lives look like on the day to day. And and do they ever get along? What does that look like? You know, do they ever fight each other? And, and what does that look like? And I don't know. I just think it's super fascinating like is this a routine where they carry grandfather upstairs every morning and bring him downstairs every night it just feels like it feels like an introduction to a whole other world and Sally's a part of it for just a little bit but this world goes on and on and on and I don't know I'm just really intrigued by it I don't know what that says about me but you know I'm not really a huge Serial killer, true crime person. Like, I'm not someone who's obsessed with serial killers like a lot of other people are. But I think in this instance, I just find it to be really intriguing. Like, who are these people? And getting to see them in their element, not just as these monsters running around killing people, but as them, like, in their calm, normal state, or at least as calm and normal as they can be, I guess. I just find it fascinating. I really like that. I mean, I don't like that sequence, but. It's just so intriguing to me to kind of see them in their own world just having dinner, you know? It's this weird juxtaposition of it is the worst moment in this woman's life and the most mundane moment in this family's life. I just think it's a really interesting juxtaposition. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The um
1: you, I mean you we made the connection earlier between this movie Psycho and um Sounds of the Lambs is both being mm-hmm all being stories that are inspired by the Ed Gein killings. And what I think is really fascinating about those three, and then, you know, many, many other horror stories that have been similarly inspired by or were inspired by those movies themselves, is this idea of the kind of typical American home and the sort of, um, you know, the nuclear family, the, the standalone American house, um, and that idea that, within that house, you know, that's a closed off unit, you can you can be invited in, but you can't fully penetrate all of its secrets un if you don't live there. And so this idea that there could be evil festering inside of there, there could be unspeakable horrors, there could be, um, you know, just just things beyond our imagination. And then one day, all of a sudden, the, those things get cracked open, and you see what's been going on inside that house you know behind closed doors like that is just i feel like such a uniquely kind of uh horror trope that is ground into the the dna of america of like you know we we all want to have our own independent houses where we can live with our families but what actually goes i don't on? <laughs> anymore after watching this movie <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean that to me was the thing that disturbed me most about this movie is that family idea and that idea of like this has been going on for so long this house is covered in bones in feathers in dust in grime in blood cars you know, cars <laughs> so many cars um you know that the these this family has been allowed to operate unnoticed undetected in you know it's pretty isolated but the way that this has been just right under everybody's noses and yet they've been able to continue with it um and for as long as they have it's just yeah so incredibly disturbing and like the the fact that this was you know a 70s movie and like you said not shot on like the highest quality 35 millimeter film it's a little bit grainier with that 70s sheen, it's kind of, you know, everything's kind of run down. Everything's a bit dirty and musty. All the clothes look really lived in.
0: Um, well, they are. <laughs> as yeah. We yes, we
1: found out. Yeah. <laughs> Literally lived in for at least for a month or more. Um, 16 hours a day. But like, you know, the just the aesthetics of the time period and the way that this movie was made really enhances it because you just feel the the grime and the sweat on everybody it feels so visceral and i think that's what really disturbed me about this movie is how visceral it feels you know it gets under my skin in a way that other movies with kind of similar tropes or similar ideas necessarily haven't like this one really feels you know the sort of disturbing sense you have of like yeah like that sort of erratic like i have no idea how something is going to go like staring into the mouth of madness kind of thing there's just this unending vortex of darkness and you can't feel like you can't you
0: know find your way all the way through it and it's just terrifying to me i'm really glad that this movie was made when it was because i feel like if this movie was made now it just would look it 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 would look a lot better, but because of that, it would look a lot worse. You know no, what I
1: mean? No, it would just look worse, honestly. Because I, I was just thinking, like, as I was saying, you know, that this movie is lit so well, and mm-hmm. the everything about it being really lived in, like, works so well for what it's doing. And I'm just, I'm just imagining this movie with like the really flat Netflix, exactly lighting, yeah. and everything is so oversaturated, and everyone's clothes are just so perfectly styled and clean and I'm just like no I
0: feel like too even if something like A24 Blumhouse for example like even if they got an indie filmmaker Mm -hmm. to do this it still would look too clean like even if they Mm -hmm. shot it on film and tried to make it look gritty like this it still wouldn't work there's something about just the way that cinema has progressed that I don't think we could capture this movie in the same way. If we did it now, it would just feel a lot more, no matter how gritty we tried to make it, it would still look more polished. And I think the fact that this movie is so unpolished, it it has to look that way. If it doesn't mm-hmm. look that way, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. So yeah, I'm really glad it was made when it was and like, Which is why this movie has, I think, been remade once, like in two thousand something, and it's terrible. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Did you watch the remake, or are you going off of reviews? I'm I'm going off of
0: reviews and and clips that I've seen, and I, um, I don't know. You know, if anyone listening to this podcast has seen any of the sequels to this movie and you like them, shoot us an email and let us know why um i haven't seen any of them but i have heard tale that they're not the best necessarily but who knows um this is a random question but thinking again about low budget horror
1: which was then later remade um have you seen either of the evil dead movies or i I've shouldn't seen, say either because there's mo- more than two but i've seen i've seen the first one
0: okay yeah gotcha. uh yeah, yeah. so Anyway, I think we can kind of move on from there. I mean, I feel like we've touched a lot of the a lot of the main a lot of the main points. Um it's a pretty it's a pretty simple movie in lots of ways uh, in terms of like the story. It's which is one of the things I love about it. I think that the thing that makes it stand out is just the way that it's shot and the way that it's structured because the story in and of itself is not particularly you know, interesting in and of itself it's the way that it's told that really helps elevate it um so yeah um so moving on a little bit uh so this movie did not receive any awards or nominations at all uh which like not particularly surprising (laughs) um fun fact just for you geneva uh roger roger ebert did not like this movie Um, oh interesting i almost put his review here but i didn't
1: um, Do you remember
0: what it was that he just turned he, him off about it? He just didn't get it. He was like, mm. he was like, it's well made. But at the end of the day, what is the point? Like, yeah, that's why where watch at this. Yeah. Um, he's like, what are we getting out of this experience? <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, but yeah, so but even even that being said, this movie, like I mentioned before, does have a lot of controversy around it. Um, but even so, I think I mentioned it is known to be one of the greatest horror films of all time or recognized to be that. Um, It has an 88 on Metacritic and it holds an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. So clearly, uh, you know, has a high, high status. People like it. So um, yeah, so I pulled a review from Tom Coates from BBC home. It's a little bit long, but I'm just going to read it anyway, because there's so much about this movie, like all the research and all the reviews, there's just so much, Um, so yeah, he writes, like any decent slasher movie, there's something unsettling about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that goes beyond the blood and gore. Leatherface is a purely murderous creature. There's no reasoning or placating with him, but he's still a plausible one. And the shaky camera work, lo-fi special effects, and down and dirty screams and Chainsaw's soundtrack all help give the film a terrifyingly believable documentary quality. You'll be surprised at how much you don't see how few directly gore ridden moments there are, and how totally lacking an escape it is. But the film remains a stunning example of remorseless horror and an unmissable p- I think. panacea <laughs> to the prepackaged faux actually. horror that we've all become slowly accustomed to. I think that that's a perfect review that so beautifully sums up what makes this movie great and how it stands out from how the horror genre has evolved. Um, so yeah, I really liked that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, good review. Yeah. So I guess just to kind of close out here, uh, in terms of things that are going, I don't know if I was moved <laughs> in any sort of way. Uh, but something about this movie that has stuck with me and will continue to stick with me is again, just that opening, uh, not opening, but that first kill moment where we just see, kind of a foreshadowing of what's to come in terms of the way that Leatherface just so naturally kills this victim. And then so violently slams the door shut. Like it's just, (laughs) it's such an incredible introduction to what is going to happen. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I love, I love that moment Um, that, you know, there's other things that I think I said that I appreciate about this movie, but that moment in particular, I think is just so chilling um, that that's what sticks with me. So Geneva, I'm assuming what's going to stick with you is just how much you felt stick to your stomach <laughs> while watching this film. But is there anything yeah. else
1: beyond that? More or less, more or less. Um, I mean, I think just that first scene with the hitchhiker and just kind of, mm. the, you know, everything is really creepy and unsettling to begin with. And then just the dawning sort of like, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no, things are going really sideways. Oh, no, what do we do? Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of, it it so perfectly sets the tone for the rest of the movie and how everything is going to be unsettling and creepy, but you cannot predict at any moment what is going to happen. And it does it really well, and it's so visceral, and it feels so real, and that's why it disturbs me so much.
0: Yep. Yes. Um... Well, again, thank you for watching this movie. I'm glad that you, I hope you're glad that maybe you've seen it now. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said,
1: I'm not sorry that I've watched it. I'm glad that I can put it on my list of horror movies I have watched and I know what they are, um, but I yeah. don't think I'm ever going to watch it again.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for sticking with it. Um, but yeah, you get to choose the horror movie for next week. So what do. will we be talking about?
1: Yes. uh, Yes. Next week, we're going to talk about another pretty bleak, relentless (laughs) movie, Um, but one that is um, one that I really love. We're watching 28 Days Later from 2002. So shifting over from slashers into zombies question mark
0: (laughs) yes 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 yes
1: yes uh before we say goodbye um, oh my
0: gosh yeah thank you for i totally forgot yeah
1: yeah so do you have um a recommendation of a funny youtube video or sick compilation or sitcom episode or anything like that i do uh
0: because i just sent it to you earlier today
1: (laughs) i thought you might choose that but
0: yeah, I mean, it's just the the one that comes to my mind right now. Um, but so I think I mentioned before that I'm having a little bit of a rough time in my life personally. And so I'm trying to just like watch things that cheer me up. So I have been watching, uh, you know, just a few times every every here and there the last few days. There is an incredible compilation on YouTube of Robert Pattinson just like completely hating on the Twilight uh The Twilight Saga and how dumb he thinks it is and how much he didn't like being a part of it and how crazy he thinks Stephanie Meyer is as a person. Um, It is called very simply Robert Pattinson hates Twilight. It's a three minute (laughs) compilation of all of his interviews across that time period. Um, Highly recommend. Even if you haven't seen Twilight or read Twilight, I feel like you can still get the humor out of it. Um, So yeah, go over there, check it out. It'll hopefully it'll make you laugh because it makes me cry laugh every time I watch it. So, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, what I will recommend is what I ended up watching last night after I finished this movie. Well, I watched I watched a couple different things to try and clear my head a little bit. I watched an episode of Key what and Peele. What time Peel, did you watch great. this movie? Um, I started it later than I should have. I fin think I finished around maybe eleven thirty. Oh, you watched it like at night. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had to oh, wait till, like to like, oh,
0: okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. That has a huge, a huge relationship or a huge, um, you know, way on how mm-hmm. you experienced it the way that you yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was times, maybe not the perfect. Both timed. times I have watched this movie, I've watched it during the day. Both times. Mm, so, yeah. That, that might help. That might yeah. help. Yeah. But
1: yeah. Um, but yeah, so I watched an episode of Keen Peel, which is great. I highly recommend Keen Peel. But I also ended up on a compilation of um, so there's a a show, so this is a horror theme, so appropriate. There was a show, a Ryan Murphy show from like 10 years ago or so called Scream Queens. And um, in the show was one of the core cast members was um, my man, Glenn Powell, and he is hilarious in this show. And so I just watched a compilation of the best of his characters. His character's name was Chad Radwell, <laughs> playing this like self-absorbed preppy trust fund kid who's like weirdly smart but also really, really dumb. Um, and it always cracks me up every time I watch a compilation of those scenes. So yeah, highly recommend Glenn Powell scenes as Chad Radwell from Scream Queens.
0: I don't know what's happening with the Ryan Murphy algorithm, but I keep getting suggestions for like Glee things on YouTube. I never watched Glee, um, but I did watch one the other day because it was like the worst performance and the best (laughs) performance of every actor of every on the show and so it was like this 20 minute video of like oh let's show it. the worst show best had a before.
1: million characters too like, i, I like know that would take quite
0: a while they did all the guest stars they did like Adina menzel katherine oh hardwick adam lambert i'm like wow this is a long video wow. um but you know i'm trying to drown <laughs> out my they, sadness so it was fine
1: did they include um gwyneth paltrow's they uh, did performance of Fuck you by CeeLo Green and they was did. it best or worst?
0: Uh I don't remember if it was best or worst. Both of them were bad because it's <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow singing, but um yeah, yeah. I don't remember which one it was. Um but yeah, I actually think I really like Ryan Murphy. I know you don't like him, but I think I like him a lot. Um even though I never really watched Glee. But anyway Yeah, I did watch the first two seasons of Glee and then I fell off. Yeah. Um anyway okay anyway, all right, cool so. so yeah next week 28 days later uh, and we will see you guys all then uh, happy Halloween I guess because I think our next episode comes out after I thought, Halloween I think it comes out on Halloween am I wrong Ooh. about this? spooky let me look at my calendar oh yes yes it does well Ooh. okay alright happy Listen one to week to till Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> okay bye bye thanks for listening if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com our theme song was composed by joel rushton and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. if you like this show and want to hear more please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform we're excited to have you on this journey with us until next time